0: go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 3 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And the series is called Church Under Construction. And what's great about this morning is we are actually going to be hitting on the theme passage that led to this entire series. Um, so Church Under Construction is the theme now? I, uh, a few weeks ago I wasn't here. I was uh, Luke McDonald was preaching because I went back to the church um, where I worked before. Here it's called Crossroads Community Church, and I served there since boy 2001. Came on part-time staff there, then full-time staff. And one of my many duties there uh, was I got to be on the building committee, and we spent two years researching and working and uh, and getting a building built from nothing. I mean we had a, a A plot of ground and that's it. And so this building committee was responsible for the whole thing. And one of the words, probably the word, that we feared the most when we were on this building committee was inspection. And let me just tell you that when DuPage County would come out and would inspect the work that was going on, we would hold our breath, okay? Because two years is a long time to go. But it finally came down to the home stretch in this week uh, in 2008 in the fall. And we, by faith, announced to the congregation. We were meeting in a school. Next week, we're having our first service in our new building. And the people went wild. But what they didn't know is we didn't have the occupancy permit yet. There was still one more inspection that we had to pass that week. And boy, were we nervous about it. It was the environmental inspection. They had to come out. And let me tell you how thorough they were. They cared what kind of trees we planted. They cared what kind of grass seed we used. They cared where exactly the split rail fence was installed on the property to guard the wetlands from being mowed. So we were scared. They could have said no service this weekend and then it would have been awful. So we were, we were looking over the blueprints. We were making sure that we had everything right. And then we found out there was one thing we had forgotten there were supposed to be four signs on the property telling people where the wetlands were. And we didn't get these signs in. We weren't having church that weekend. So, so I raced to this sign shop and I showed them the blueprint. And, and it was like this little pencil drawing of a sign and it had a frog on it. And it said, wetland, do not mow. And I said, make it look exactly like that, just in case. And so we got these signs made up and we pounded them into the ground. And, th- and then the inspector came and she walked all around the ground. I mean, there wasn't a, a square inch that she didn't cover. And she looked at the grass. She looked at the trees. She looked at the signs. And lo and behold, after two years, we finally got our occupancy permit, had our first service there in the new building, and it was a great day. Well, I share that story because there is coming a time uh, when, when our church and when, when your life uh, will be inspected. Uh, there's coming a, a time when what you're building, when, when what we're building, uh, will be evaluated. That time is called judgment. And the Bible says that your life is kind of like a building being built. And the Bible says that our church is kind of like a building being built. Uh, and it says judgment is like a fire. And therefore, when the day of judgment comes, this fire stands between the two worlds and it tests What from this world endures into the next? There are three kinds of people talked about this week and next. There are those who are building fireproof, a fireproof building. And when judgment comes, the building will survive and these people will be greatly rewarded uh, for their service to Christ. There are those who are building with substandard materials and not according to God's blueprint and yet they're believers. And so when judgment comes, they will survive, but their work will be consumed and they will have very little to show uh, for their Christian life. And then there are those who their building will be destroyed and they will be destroyed and they'll never get out of the fire. Three groups. And I think given this sobering truth, the title for this message today is fire inspection. Before that day comes, now's the time to inspect your life, my life, this church, and to say, how are we building? How are we doing it keeping up to code? How are we doing it following God's blueprint? Because the day is coming. The day is coming when we will be evaluated. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And this sermon is going to be a little bit lopsided, so we are going to breeze through the first two points, okay? But I don't want you to get super excited because the third point is the big one. We're going to spend half of this, the morning on the uh, third point, okay? So, uh, so just settle in. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and say, settle in. It's going to be good. All right, so 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, says this. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? The first thing that the Bible says, if we're going to have our act together as a church, if we're going to act, have our act together as individuals, here's the first thing it says, write this down. You're acting like babies grow up. <laughs> Paul started this church so he could say things like that. He could say, you're acting like a bunch of babies, so grow up. They were fighting. They were, they, were, they were at each other's throats. I mean, in this church, it was like all messed up. They were bickering. So he had to say, you're acting like babies. And I mean, I mean big babies. I've got a picture here. Check this out. This is a big baby. That's a big baby. Yeah. When Paul looked at Corinth, that's what he saw. You're being a bunch of these. All right, before we start talking about eternity and you and the judgment of being rewarded for your life, stop that. Okay, we got to get together here. Uh, he kicks it off with the word brothers, which means he is talking to believers. Okay, brothers. And he's talking to two different kinds of believers based on their behavior. Um, the one, he says, you're being like people of the flesh. That kind of sounds. Doesn't that sound like a zombie movie? The people of the flesh, watch out! They're trying. It's a kind of a weird Bible phrase. The flesh. Uh, it doesn't mean that though. Uh, people of the flesh. The flesh refers to your your body, just that loves sin. It's it's the base part of you that just. I mean, it loves sin, and um, non-believers live in the flesh. They they can't please God. Uh, the flesh gets what it wants. They're they're what the Bible would call slaves to sin. Okay, But believers, here's the thing, while they are free from the slavery to sin, they can indulge the flesh. We can therefore be acting um, to please the flesh. And so therefore, he's saying, you're, you're being people of the flesh. You're not following God's spirit. And, and uh, another translation could be worldly. Or it also says you're merely human. You're, you're not even acting like believers. You're acting like mere humans, like, like the world what are you doing? And the other group, there's the people of the flesh. And then he said, I couldn't address you as spiritual people. Now this doesn't mean people who went to seminary. This doesn't mean people who have, you know, like uh, all the Awana badges or anything. Spiritual people are simply those who are currently being led by the spirit. Just the way of their life right now is they're not indulging the flesh. They're simply following the spirit. Uh, he said, I wish that I could talk to you as spiritual people. I wish the Holy Spirit was in charge of what you're thinking and saying and doing in church, but it's not. You're acting like the world right now. And two things specifically he points out. He says that their jealousy, that word means to boil, to boil with passion. Uh, it could be positive or negative. It could be a good thing. It's not a good thing here. They are just flying off the handle at each other, uh, very negative, all worked up about the wrong things. Jealousy and strife, it mentions. So that means debating or discord or rivalries or divisions. Uh, let's just say this. If you visited this church in Corinth, if you decided you were going to pay a visit to the first church in Corinth, they were grumpy people. They were mad at each other. They were, if you visited this church, you might see this look on a lot of faces. Check this out. Some of you have been to that church before. Some of you were a part of that church for a long time. Some of you were that face at the church before. I'm just saying. And it's because of jealousy, it's because of strife, the fighting, the self-promotion that this church was all messed up. They were acting like babies. I read recently about a church fight in our day. The headline of this article read, get this, Worship Leader Tasers Pastor During Church Knife Fight you believe it? It's true. Quite a scene ensued at a southern church. Their name is New Welcome Baptist Church. <laughs> That's a new welcome. <laughs> the worship leader took his taser to the senior pastor, Dale Riley, in the midst of a heated church brawl. It all started when the worship leader was let go. And then a deacon began wielding a knife. And then the worship leader tased the pastor, both the deacon and the worship leader, have been charged with assault at New Welcome Baptist Church. <laughs> Boy, hey, that, this is what was going on at Corinth, all right? I mean, it was messed up. And even if you don't wield a knife or brandish a taser or anything, okay, let's just agree. Things get ugly in God's church, right? No amen to that, but I know that you could amen in your heart because you've been at those churches where it gets ugly. I mean, the things that are said, the things that are done, the thing, it's just ugly, and it's because sin is running rampant in the hearts of individual believers. You're acting like babies. Grow up. So what happens when, when this ugly energy of sin, what happens when it's, it's just surging uh, into God's church? Uh, well, I would say this. The effect of sin is that our relationships begin to be marked by suspicion and anger toward one another and retaliation. And then unforgiveness sets in and things grow very cold Uh, and our attachments to each other are weak and brittle, and then under any pressure, they shatter. We begin to doubt and disregard God's word because we're distracted. Uh, We distrust his ways, and we veer off his path personally. Uh, Our prayer lives end, and then with the leaders of the church busy putting out fires and and, uh, mending a fractured church, false teaching can creep in to further divide people. All of this is what the enemy wants, okay? And the solution is that we all it's all of our responsibilities to preserve what the Bible calls the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, I hereby officially appoint all of you onto the unity committee at Harvest Palace. You're on it. You're on it, and you're on it, and you're on it. And um, you have to remember that you're on it, especially when you get sideways about something or really ticked off at a person, especially in this room. You have to remember, oh, wait, Pastor Ryan appointed me to the unity committee. I have to make sure I'm careful about how I handle this so we don't turn into this new welcome Baptist church and people show up and we're all messing around and uh, at each other's throats. You're on the committee. Well, he moves on from here and he says, you're acting like babies grow up. okay? And then he shares a second point. Not only were they acting like babies, but they, had, they were treating their leaders wrong. So write this down. Treat human leaders like servants, not superstars. And check out verse 5, like servants, not superstars. Verse 5, it says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, you get that word, servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor." For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. He, he wants the people to think rightly about the leaders. So he chooses three images or metaphors here to kind of liken the leaders to certain things. Uh, and each one of them is meant to show God's supremacy and uh, the leader's basic inferiority. Okay, so the first one is, uh, well, the three of them are kind of like your. A building, we're like servants, you're like a field. So let's talk about the building. Pretty much he's just saying that, you know, the leaders in the church were like construction workers, all right? We're, we're, we're nothing, we're just, we're just building, it's God's building. We've been recruited by him to be on his work crew, all right? We don't own it, it's his, we're just working on it. Okay, now I want to help you to apply this to our church here, okay? So this, this picture of a construction worker is going to assist you to see the leaders of this church properly. There's one. That's me. You notice that behind the sunglasses? See, I'm in disguise. You didn't even notice that, did you? Think of me like I'm just a construction worker. Um, Yeah, I'm the senior pastor or whatever, but you know what? God assigned me to work on his building. All I am is I'm just like a worker. He just got me on the crew. And, uh, And the next thing is, it says we're servants. That word there is where we get the word deacon. It's diakonos. It basically means table waiters. So check this picture out. When you think about our elders, think about our elders as just basically like table waiters. We're nothing more. We're nothing more. And we're, we're servants employed by God. And then it says the church is like a field. So you're like a building. You're like a field. Um, and so we're just basically like dirty farmers. So look, here's the third one. There he is. <laughs> Okay, when you think of us like this, it's really hard to get us up on a pedestal, you know. And, and this is supposed to teach the congregation. These images are supposed to teach the congregation, you know, don't think too highly of your leaders, all right. Uh, they're really, I mean, working on God's property, okay. They're not owners, they're laborers. But it also teaches the leaders something, doesn't it? We're not owners, we're simply laborers, all right. All we are is we're just table waiters, we're just farmers, we're just builders. And you know what, God's the owner, um sadly some of these believers were acting like they were you know they were like paul's proper i'm with him or i'm with apollo i don't you know and and they're they're like attaching themselves to these leaders and it was it was destructive so take heed congregation don't elevate your leaders too highly there's plenty of passages that talk about how you should give your leaders respect this is one of those that talks about uh, avoiding championing men and um, there's plenty of passages that call leaders to serve well and to set an example, to do uh, what the congregation needs to see, right? But this is one of those passages that says, hey, leaders, do not divide God's church. Do not form these factions. Do not get all these camps around you and then storm the, the gates to try and get your own agenda going. Um, the apostrophe S is really the most important thing to note. You are God's. You Are God's apostrophe s meaning God's possession? He bought you, He owns you, He leads you, and He does work through the leaders. But fundamentally, deep down in your heart, you have to get this right, or you'll get a lot of other things wrong. I belong to God and to no one else. He is my master, He is my shepherd, He is my teacher. I'm His. No one else can get me closer to him. No one else can give me more of him. I belong to him. So treat human leaders like servants. Don't treat them like like superstars. They're just workers. And uh, also, they're sharing a common practice here. The leaders weren't the ones with the problem in Corinth. It was the people. And so, so they were elevating people wrongly. And now that brings us to this third point, which is really the big one. Look at verse 10 as we read on. You are God's field. You are God's building. Verse 10 And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Jot this down. This is the point. Build your... And you can write a bunch of things in this line. Build your church, life, family... Marriage, etc., with fireproof materials. The church is likened to a building. Your life is likened to a building. The test that's coming is Judgment Day. Judgment Day is like a fire. What of your life, what of your choices will endure beyond? What will lead to eternal significance? That's the question here. If you've ever had a house fire, you know that fire is totally consuming. Um, have any of you actually survived a house fire where your house, I mean, it was it a was blaze. Have any of you walked through a house that was on fire? And you've seen the damage that has been done. few of you. Okay, I've been through, I, I have been through someone else's house, I've walked through it, and it is astonishing to see how destructive fire is. I've got a few pictures here of a house that uh, burned down. Uh, just look and imagine that that was your kitchen. Imagine that that is not only your kitchen, but like your uh, TV room leading to the back door there. Um, Everything is consumed by this fire because the house is not built with materials that can last uh, through the fire. Check this one out. The whole room is, the microwave there has fallen onto the oven and the fridge doesn't even have a door anymore. It's basically melted into the whole refrigerator. This is what fire does. Uh, Look at how destructive fire is. And look at how consuming fire can be. And we're supposed to take that to heart and realize that our life, our church is going to go through that. And yet there's hope here. And our hope begins with the foundation. It says here that Paul, like a skilled master builder, now that word there skilled math he uses the word for wise it could have been translated wise which is what the corinthians are all after they want wisdom they want wise teachers they want smarty pants up there preaching the message wise 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 and paul's like okay the wisest thing that ever happened in your church was the simple message of the gospel of christ was laid as the foundation you guys are getting away from that that was the wisest thing that ever happened according like a skilled master builder i laid a foundation someone else is building on it he says take care uh, that can be translated, be careful or, or beware. Watch out, take care. That what? How? He builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, as our church moves forward, listen, we have to get Christ right foundationally. We can never step away from the simple basic truth about Jesus Christ and his death and his burial And his resurrection. We can't get away from that. And there are a lot of churches today that have just simply different foundations other than the gospel. Um, And if you replace the foundation of Christ with anything else, you simply will not make as great of an eternal impact. And some of these things that people are using are good things, they just don't belong in the foundation. Um, What could be some possibilities? What I think. So I think for some churches, it's just simply tradition. It's the way we've always done things. It's just it's the way of our doing church that becomes the foundation of this church. And boy, if you go against the way we've always done things, look out! Because you're messing with the core of this very place. I think for some churches, sadly, politics becomes the foundation. I think, uh, even more alarmingly, pet theological agendas, when, when a theology or a system of theology becomes the foundation. Uh, the driving force behind what the whole church is doing. It's a poor foundation. I think legalism, a litany of rules giving people to follow, that can become a, another foundation. I think, I think with this next generation coming up, boy, social justice is an amazing thing, and so is compassion. But not when it replaces the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church. Uh, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And everything that we do, including our pursuit of of a better society, including our pursuit of compassion and humanitarian ministries, uh, grows out of our love for saving souls forever. And that's the foundation. I think psychology can replace preaching in the pulpit. I think New Age spirituality can creep into the hearts of people. And the bottom line is, whatever it is, if it replaces the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church will accomplish little that is eternally valuable. That's the bottom line. Christ has to remain the foundation. Well, then it says, when it talks about building materials here, you have to watch what you're building with. So watch what you're building on. Watch what you're building with. And it says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. So you notice the point here is not their value necessarily, but can they withstand the fire? Okay, the straw, the wood, the hay, that ain't going to make it through, right? But the gold and the precious stones, uh, that's going to make it through. The, the, the goal here is to get us to start thinking of fireproof building materials that we can use so that what we're building into our families and into our lives and into our church will endure beyond the grave. Uh, it's fireproof when the fire comes. It's geared toward eternity. <clears throat> and it says here, if anyone builds, each one's work will become manifest for the... Do you notice how the word day there is capital? The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So guess what day the capital D-A-Y is referring to? The day. I mean judgment. The day. The capital D-A-Y. We're going to talk about judgment day. I've got my sandwich board in the back. I'm going to go get it and put it on about how the end is near and judgment is coming. Um, I say that because we don't talk about Judgment Day a lot. In fact, we kind of we kind of laugh at people who are really fixated on the end is coming. Beware! It's here. And even those who would predict that it's coming soon—boy, aren't they the laughing stock of the media? Did you guys follow Harold Camping recently when he rescheduled Apocalypse? Did you catch that? Did you mark your calendars? I did. Uh, Radio preacher Harold Camping predicted that May 12, 2011 was going to be the beginning of the end of the world. He predicted that there would be hourly earthquakes and God's judgment would fall, followed by months of torment on earth for individuals who were left behind and not taken in the rapture. He used numerical codes extracted from the Bible to set the date. When judgment day came and went, he rescheduled it for Friday, October 21st. It was the day before my birthday. I was like, really? Come on. Can we bump that back a few more days? Check your calculations. I mean, <laughs> what's up with rescheduling judgment day? How foolish is that? Um, he wasn't the first one who messed up with his prediction of when the judgment would come. Uh, back in 1806, there was <laughs> this hen in the English town of Leeds known as the Prophet Hen of Leeds. And allegedly, this hen began laying eggs on which the phrase, Christ is coming, was written. Can you believe it? Do you believe it? And people actually believed it. And so, uh, so they were convinced that doomsday was at hand, and they all freaked out. And then someone actually went and checked out one of these eggs for themselves and noticed that it was actually a hoax. Famous enough that it made the headlines, though. How about April 23rd, 1843? A New England farmer named Mil- William Miller said that the end is coming. April 23rd, it's going to be April 23rd of 1843. Many of his followers sold or gave away their possessions, assuming that uh, they would not be needed. And then when April 23rd came and went, but Jesus didn't, the group eventually disbanded and some of them formed the denomination today known as the Seventh-day Adventists. How about the Mormons? Their Armageddon was supposed to be in 1891 or earlier. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church, said 1835, um, Jesus would return within the next 56 years and the end times would begin promptly. Oops. How about the Jehovah's Witnesses? They have had several specific predictions of when the apocalypse would come up until the early 1990s, and then they just threw in the towel and said, we don't know. And now they give vague predictions of when it's going to be. Um, and yet, evangelicalism, we're not immune. Uh, Pat Robertson started, startled and alarmed the world when, contrary to Matthew 24:36, which says no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, uh, informed his 700 club TV show audience that he knew when the world would end. He said, I guarantee you by the end of 1982, there's going to be a judgment on the world. Oops. No one knows when the end will come. Jesus even said he doesn't know when the end's going to come. Figure that one out. Only the Father. But here's the thing. The end will come. There is a day and it's marked on the calendar and it's circled. And we're one day closer to it today than we were yesterday. And it's called the day. And it's on God's planner. And that day will separate this world from eternity. And everything will change. It is a moment in human history when God chooses to so drastically intervene that he ends the natural world order, this course of life, so that he can, with his people, come down and again inhabit uh, the earth. It's a new earth. It's a new universe. Everything will be remade. That's our hope. And the day is coming when that will become sight. But for now, it's faith. Check out 2 Peter 3, 9 to 13. We'll put it up on the screen. It says this The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day, there it is again, the day of the Lord will come, like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth, In which righteousness dwells. Hey, this is a good time for a fire inspection in your own heart. It's a yes or no answer. When God's judgment comes, yes or no, will you go to heaven? It's yes or no. There's no maybe, there's no in between. It's going to be awful, it's going to be forever. And here, this is the time that God has brought you to this moment so that you can ask yourself, looking inside, Am I am I going to face his judgment or will I survive his judgment? The truth is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have absolutely nothing to fear. Check out John 5 24. Jesus Himself says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Get this He does not come into judgment. He does not come into judgment. He does not come into judgment. Nail this down deeply inside your heart. If you're a believer, you have nothing to fear on judgment day. Nothing. Nothing from your past, nothing from your present, nothing from your future. Nothing. Nothing. He does not come into judgment. In fact... Notice here that this whole like, thing that Paul's acting out, if anyone builds on the foundation, each one's work will be manifest. Then there's kind of two groups. The day will disclose it. It says, uh, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So here's the, the guy, he survives, he's saved, and his work survives, and he gets rewarded. But then it says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. Now this is the guy who, he saved. But the stuff that he did, either in the church or in his, whatever, in his life, that it was messed up. He, he wasn't following the Lord. He made some huge mistakes. He walked in the flesh. He, people in the New Testament that would perhaps fall into this camp would be like Ananias and Sapphira. Believers, <laughs> but God killed them in church. Okay, they're saved. But, but it could have been so much better. They could have been building such different things into their walk with the Lord. And so here, the phrase will be saved is one of the most encouraging phrases in the whole book of 1 Corinthians. And you have to ask yourself first, are you in that group? Uh, Are you in that group where you will be saved? I mean, even if you blow it as a believer, uh, you will be saved. Or are you in the group that won't be saved? We talk more about that group next week. Uh, this will be the group that's described in a few verses later as the one whom God destroys. You see, neither of these people are destroyed by God. Their work maybe gets burned up, but they're saved. But there's, there's some, God destroys them. And uh, you don't want to be in that group. You don't want to leave this room in that group today. Let me say that. Not when you hear this message. And this day comes up on Judgment Day too. You have no excuse. You were there. You heard. You had a chance. Why? Why did you not respond to my gospel? So you have to build your your life, our church, your family, with fireproof materials. And you have to ask yourself, is Christ even the foundation of your life? The truth is that no one can have confidence that they're going to heaven based on their own life and their own works. The only confidence that you can have that you'll survive the judgment is if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because then you've received what's called grace. It's God's unearned, unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. He gives it to you as a gift based on what Christ did. If there was anyone on this planet who maybe thought that they could have deserved eternal life because of their works, perhaps it could have been Mother Teresa. And yet, after she uh, died and her, uh, her journal writings were made public, it was amazing how her interior struggle was chronicled and um, she wrestled with some pretty serious issues. Listen to what she wrote in her, in her diary. She said, I want God with all the power of my soul and yet between us There is terrible separation. She wrote elsewhere, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. And she said elsewhere, I'm told God lives in me and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Hey, her work's, gave her zero hope that she would make it into heaven. Nothing. And just like everyone else on the planet, her only hope was the grace of God. Your only hope is the grace of God. And nothing you do on this planet can earn your way into heaven. God will not on judgment day look into your life and be like, okay, let's get the scales going here. Oh, look, you just barely, you did it, you know? That's not the way it works. According to your own life, your own works, your own deeds, you're hellbound. But because Christ died on the cross, if you put your faith in him, then you will be saved. And nothing can change that. Okay, but what about believers? Uh, What about this idea that there will be some who are kind of rewarded and some who barely escape through the fire? Well, this is a biblical doctrine. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we'll throw that on the screen. It says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, this is talking to believers. So get this, you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the judgment like the heaven or the hell judgment, okay? We already talked about that. This is the judgment where your life as a Christian is evaluated for your faithfulness. And did you follow Christ or not? And somehow, we don't know exactly all the ins and outs of this, but somehow... Your eternity is affected by your faithfulness in this life. Okay? Um, If you, but you gotta, you gotta, you can't go too far in either extreme here. Don't start dreaming up some like super spiritual version of what that means. And don't try thinking up some ultra worldly version of what that could mean either. Like if you're expecting that you're going to like be driven around in a Ferrari in heaven by an archangel, you're probably too worldly in your expectation of your reward but if you think that you're just going to be closer to Jesus and you're just going to stare at him forever, that's, that's the only reward I need. You're probably a little too spiritual in what this reward could be. Um, no doubt there will be commendation. There will be the words of Christ commending you for your life. That's a reward. Uh, there will also be responsibilities. I mean, hey, we've got a new earth. There's a new universe. There's a new heaven. There's a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of things. Who knows what you're going to be doing there? Okay, but you're going to have responsibilities. You're going to have things that God wants you to do. Uh, And so somehow that's tied to this life and your faithfulness here. Your eternity is directly affected by your faithfulness here. Okay, so then what can I do now so that if, heaven forbid, I should go on to eternity tomorrow? I'm ready to stand before the Lord. What can I do now? Well, I think there would be three things I would just lay before you for believers. Based on 1 Corinthians, other passages in the New Testament, the first one would be, which closely ties to this text, maintain great relationships with fellow believers. You have to work hard to stay in good relationships in God's church. You can't be the one who's guilty of harming other believers, dividing God's church, handling conflict in an inappropriate or immature way you have to work hard to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace and maybe now's the time to ask yourself is there someone is there a relationship between you and another believer that you just have to take the lead in bringing about peace you've got to do it you have to be the one to go first you have to be the one to extend the forgiveness you have to be the one to offer the grace This is a perfect application of what you can do to prepare to stand before your Lord. What you don't want is you don't want a series of unresolved conflicts, a series of problems that you didn't handle well, that that all just hurt God's church. Um, Second thing that I would say is win your personal battles with sin. um, If there is something that the Holy Spirit is just bringing to bear on your heart this morning, uh, if your conscience is aching as you think about Judgment Day, as you think about how you're a child of God, Do you wonder how you would ever explain that this still has a hold in your life? This is the day to cast it before the Lord and to repent. This is the day for you to let that go and to no longer let sin be your master. To fully repent, to mean it, and to get godly people around you who know that you're struggling with this so that you can walk in victory. This is the day that you understand that you too, even though you are saved by grace, will be evaluated for your choices here. And this is the day that you let that sin go. I think the third thing, for those of you who perhaps are suffering or you've gone through a trial recently, I would just say, don't give up. This is a huge one. You have to understand that even simply choosing to continue following Christ through the storm, through the trial, hey, listen, that's going to come up. That's going to mean something to the Lord on Judgment Day. When you stand before him and that chapter of your life, that year, that month, that day that you chose against everything within you to just persevere in following the Lord Jesus Christ, do you have any idea that you're going to be rewarded for that? You don't get get the reward here, but our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Amen? And so something about that trial in your life, that test in your heart, is going to amount to blessing, and it may only come about in the next life. But the thought of a reward should motivate you to never give up and to never throw in the towel, to surely never turn and stop following the Lord. Well, let me finish by talking to those of us this morning who you're not sure where you stand with God and you maybe wouldn't even call yourself a Christian, For sure, you don't know whether you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. Hey, this is a perfect morning for you to hear this truth, that God loves you. And he loves you so much, he sent his son into the world to die on the cross to save you from judgment. Do you know that Jesus on the cross took your judgment? That's what he was doing. Do you know that the Bible says that the wrath of God was poured out on his son That he was there enduring the cross for your sin. And do you know that if you accept Jesus as your Savior, God's judgment then will never fall on you? Do you understand that you can be saved by grace? It's just a free gift that God holds out to you. But it's not by works so that you can't boast. But at some point in your life, if it hasn't happened already, you have to reach out and receive Christ as Savior. You have to respond to the gospel. So that you can be saved from the day. And it is coming. And it will be closer tomorrow than it is today. Today is the day of salvation. It says in the book of Hebrews, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But rather receive Christ as Savior. I want to give you a chance right now, right here, to trust Christ as your Savior so that you don't have anything to fear when the day comes. Let's all close our eyes and bow our heads. Father, as we just come before you, what an amazing passage this is. What a frightening passage this is. To know that just as in the day of Noah, when you flooded the earth and only those on the ark were saved, again, your judgment will fall on this planet, but it will be with fire. And Lord, on that day... It will be seen who will be saved and who will be destroyed. What a a fearful thought to fall into the hands of an angry God forever. And yet, you are love. And so here and now, you give us the chance to turn toward you, to repent, to be saved. Lord, for those who are here this morning, they have no confidence if they will be saved. In fact, they suspect they won't. Right now, they may want to pray to you. And I lead them in this prayer, Lord, though it will be in their own heart, in their own words, between you and them. They may want to pray something like this. Father, I believe that I have sinned. And I confess that I am guilty and that I deserve to be judged. But here, this morning, I repent. I turn to receive the free gift of eternal life. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross. I believe he rose again. And I invite him into my life as Savior and Lord. Father, for those who want to make their peace with you today, may you give them joy and confidence. Lord, convince them now like never before that they will never fall into judgment. Their sins were judged fully at the cross. Give them hope, Lord, that they will spend eternity with you in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, teach them to begin following you so that when that day comes, they can even be rewarded for their faithfulness. Lord, I also think of believers in this room. You got their attention today. Father, you shook them today. The thought of them standing before you, the thought of their life being evaluated, Maybe they, maybe they didn't even know that was going to happen. They thought they got off, got free. And though, though they never need to doubt that they will go to heaven. Lord, maybe there are things in their life this morning that they just need to, just need to surrender to you. Maybe there is a relationship that they need to mend. Lord, maybe today's the, the day to start. Maybe they just need encouragement that whatever they're going through is going to be worth it. It is seen by you, and they will be rewarded for their faithfulness. Father, fill them with hope. Fill them, giving them strength, Lord, to walk in purity and in righteousness. And give them courage to reach out to those who, or those who they have problems with, to bring about unity. Father, we just want you to be pleased with our work. We just want you When we stand before you to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So we lift all of these prayers up to you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.